Hello and welcome to Knowing Me, Knowing UKSG, a podcast exploring journeys in scholarly communications. In each episode, we hear from someone inspiring from the knowledge community and ask them to tell us about their career journey and what has motivated them along the way. Today, I'm speaking with Chris Banks, who is the Director of Library Services at Imperial College London. She is a member of JISC's UUK Content Negotiation Strategy Group. She chairs the JISC UUK Content Expert Group. She is also an elected board member of RLUK, and she's a member of the Sconnell Content Strategy Group. Thank you very much for joining me today, Chris. Thanks, Kevin. It's great to be here. So, Chris, you've worked in libraries for over three decades now, but prior to that, you had something of a varied CV history. Could you tell us a little bit more about it, please? Um, Yes. So uh, I can include a police station and an opera house in my um, in my in my CV. But I think there are there are things that there are threads that 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 go through that. So yes, I I spent three summers uh, working for the police authority for Northern Ireland in the late 1970s, early 1980s. At quite an interesting time over there. But so I was basically a civil servant working for the police in a mixture of processing roles, processing insurance claims for cars that had been blown up because they'd been parked in the wrong place in the centre of Belfast, and then also working in in police police stations, um, supporting the police operations there. Um, What that sort of taught me a lot about sort of process efficiency and and things like that. Anyway, they they wanted me to stay. Uh, I wanted to go off and do my music degree. So that's what I did. And I I got a did a couple of music degrees. During my second degree, I was doing a, a research master's, I was working with an antiquarian music dealer, uh, which was great because it meant that I was dealing with old music and new and old published books and doing all the sorts of cataloging things that we also do in libraries. And I, I'd done my, my master's part time because I basically hadn't got any funding and I needed to be able to work in order to support myself. So I did a two year part time master's and, and worked um, at the same time. Then after I'd got my master's, a job came up at English National Opera in the library there. So that was when I first went into working for a library. They were just around the corner from where I'd been working before in Cecil Court in London. And my role there was to help with the preparation of all of the materials that are needed by the singers, the cast, the production team, the orchestra, all of all of those materials needed to be prepared um, so that those rehearsals could take place. Those very expensive rehearsals could take place. The conductor's time wasn't wasted because we were English National Opera. We, we also had a little bit of a production line going in um, creating scores that had the translation of choice in it. And then getting those printed and produced um, in time for those first rehearsals. So I learned a lot about sort of project management skills, a um, bit about music production, uh, quite a lot about uh, artists and their their needs. I started there uh, in 1985 and worked there for, for a couple of years. When I'd been doing my master's, I had been 
doing some research in the British Library on their collections. And this was when the the, the bit that I was using, the, the music collections at the British Library were still in the British Museum building. I remember sitting there thinking, oh, I would love to work somewhere like this. Um, and just, you know, just thinking it would be great to work with collections like that and in such a, a big organisation like that. But of course, in my time at English National Opera, there was no opportunity for me to go away and do any sort of library course. I wouldn't have got day release to do to do anything. And so I I just wrote that off. I thought there was no way I was ever going to be able to to train to be a librarian. And that was that. Separately, I was volunteering for the um, basically the, the key learned society for music, which is the Royal Musical Association. And I was volunteering for them uh, in a membership administrator role. So a very lowly process based role. But of course, it meant that I was going to attending council meetings where the great and the good of the elected council members were there, including at the time, uh, one of the members was the then head of music at the British Library. And I do remember having a chat with him about what I'd love to do. And I do remember saying to him, I'd always thought I'd love to work at the British Library. I didn't think anything would ever come of that. Fast forward to, to 1987 or 1986, in fact, because that's when the job was advertised. Uh, I opened the Times Literary Supplement one Friday morning and there was a curatorial job at the British Library being advertised in the music department. And you didn't need a qualification. What they were looking for was somebody who had had research experience, which I had a little of by that time I'd got my my master's. And so I applied and trundled along to Whitehall to be interviewed because it was the civil service who did all the interviewing in those days and was incredibly surprised and humbled to be offered that job. So in March 1987, uh, I started work uh, as a printed music cataloguer in the British Library. And I ended up staying at the British Library for over 20 years. Do you think it's important these days to have a, a library qualification in order to progress? I actually don't and indeed some of the roles I'm uh, appointing with within the library are actually looking for very different types of, 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 of qualifications or experience. So particularly when you're looking at anything to do with data, uh, that might be a very different set of qualifications. Scholarly communications, we've actually um, employed somebody who's been through the route and got a PhD and has entered the scholarly communications route through the through the, the academic route. So I, he describes himself as a recovering academic. Um, so I, I think that there are sort of a wide range of skills and such like that we need in libraries, as well as um, those for which uh, a library qualification would, you know, would be be really helpful. So I'm, I'm sort of still uh, slightly agnostic as to the should they, shouldn't they. So when you left the British Library, uh, you had a bit of a, a career switch. Can you tell me what were the biggest challenges for you in making that switch that you did? So I'm going to start my answer for that question while I was still at the British Library. So we're at the end. We're in. It, I, I think I just about reached my 20th anniversary at the British Library, by which time I had become uh, head of music. And um, 
I was still, I was hungering, I think, for something more. I didn't know what. And internally, I was offered a secondment role, which was going to do the thing that I was most terrified of, which which was going to mean that I had to leave behind my security blanket of my 20 years worth of knowledge of built up knowledge of those incredible music collections. Um, both manuscript and and printed. I was going to have to sort of shake that um, security blanket away and start working um, with with a much broader team. I I, I went to work with the um, to head up the reference and, and research function. But my last act as music librarian in January two thousand and seven had been to go up to Aberdeen to talk, to do a double act with a, an academic researcher up there on a manuscript, which we had just at that point secured for the British Library. And I didn't know at the time that Aberdeen was looking for a librarian. So a couple of weeks into my new role at the British Library, I get a call from uh, a mutual contact at Aberdeen saying they would really like me to apply for that role. Uh, my initial response was to laugh uh, because it was such a huge role. Uh, but I thought, well, I'm at least may as well take up the opportunity to go back up to Aberdeen and talk to them about it. And long story short, I went from January 2007 with my small team of about uh, 13 in my little cosy world of music, which I knew very, very well indeed, a few projects going on. And by October 2007, I was up in Aberdeen. I had five libraries and seven museum collections. I had 150 staff. And I also had a £58 million building project to oversee and a £20 million fundraising target to help support and that was both exhilarating and terrifying in equal measure. Um, it, it was a massive challenge. Uh, there was some work to do to remend academic relationships with the library and just a lot of work to do to get my head around everything that I was now uh, responsible for and, uh, and to work on this massive great project. What excites you most about the work that you do in your current role? So my current role is, there are some similarities. Um, I think one of the things that's probably a thread that runs through most directors of higher education libraries, there will be always something about um, space and about the the physical environment that we provide for our students. Um, and we are pretty much perpetually planning some kind of small or large uh, space-related project. But in equal measure, and particularly in, in this role at Imperial, which is very, very different from both Aberdeen and the British Library, uh, there's a huge opportunity to focus in on, on the open access agenda, on um, the cost of content and the ways in which we can um, secure access to content, both for our own uh, staff and students, but also more globally, looking at, looking at how we can improve access and, and sort out many of the inequalities that arise there. Uh, so, so I've got very, very interested in all of the aspects of scholarly communication uh, and in how 
we can support our researchers to meet their funder requirements, how we can research, support our researchers to, to work in, a, you know, to improve the research culture across the university, uh, to work with um, funders on where they're where they have a role potentially in incentivizing um, some of those um, open research and open research practices. And then on the flip side of that, um, seeking to work across the sector, and this is what I do with the content expert group and the content negotiation strategy group, seeking to work on sustainable and affordable read and publish deals for the entire community that and trying to trying to make sure that we don't replace one sort of inequity, which is in a, an inequity of access to content with another form of inequity, which is that of um, access to publishing opportunities. And that's a very, very complex area. It's, it's I think, what is, I, I think is a classic wicked problem where there are multiple actors uh, and multiple motivations at play. But I quite enjoy the, um, the tactical side of that and also trying to think differently about how we how we procure and provide access to content, particularly paywalled content for uh, across across the higher education sector, and also how we improve the processes that will enable um, researchers to make their work open access. If you could go back in time to two thousand and seven, what advice would you give yourself uh, before? doing that interview, if there was somebody else who was interested in working in a similar role at the director level, what qualities do you think are useful for applying for those type of positions? I think having, so I, at the point in 2007, the sort of experience that I ended up bringing to that role that I, at the time, didn't think would be at all relevant uh, to it. So in my in my role at the British Library, I'd also had a role in both fundraising, so things like lottery funding and such like for um, for collections. You know, if you if you then fast forward yourself into a um, director role, sometimes you will be involved in fundraising for, uh, as it were, places that can deliver cultural experiences. We partnered with and worked with the academic community on some, what was then Arts and Humanities Research Board and later Arts and Humanities Research Council. Uh, so, so we'd done some proper research funding. Um, I the, the other experience I brought was, of course, I had worked at the British Library over the period that transitioned the move from the British Museum building to the, uh, to the British Library building at St Pancras. And the sorts of things that that opportunity gives you are like one one aspect of librarianship is a huge piece of logistics, massive massive piece of logistics, and so um, you know having overseen a, a, a significant collection move uh, and also um, supported the design of new services, so so you know that that was something else. So I think I think it's. And it's something I've only probably more recently done. It's reflecting back on what one has learned, even in roles that appear to have or might appear to have no bearing on the role that you're applying for, because there will be things in there. Certainly in my experience, there have been things in there. And also there have been things that I have discovered about myself. So 
I have a very particular um, interest in things like uh, workflow and efficiency. Um, and in part, that was all driven th through um, trying to speed up the speed with which I could you know, in back back in my police station days, back you know how how could I speed up the 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 approval of these these particular things? Um, because otherwise, all I could see was a backlog building up for and ever and ever. When it came to the British Library, it was how could I speed up the cataloging and uh, making, particularly when we started moving from um, physical catalogues to digital catalogues, how could we speed up that? that process and how could we make that process more efficient so that we didn't just perpetually have a, a growing backlog which for me was the most depressing thing in the world um so you know you find yourself i found myself learning learning a lot about the things that frustrated me and the things that i could possibly come up with solutions for um and then finding that relevant for um for other jobs and other roles so you've You've talked about your work as a director and also your work with uh, various sector body groups. What do you do for your own well-being to take your mind away from that, such as walks or meditation? There are a couple of things that uh, that keep me uh, that keep me sane. Uh, the first of which is that I still am able to keep up my love of music and I sing with the London Philharmonic Choir. Um, and what that gives me is the opportunity often twice a week to uh, to walk right across Hyde Park to where we rehearse uh, just north of uh, Oxford Street and then I spend three hours singing and when I can do I cannot think about anything else because I am having to concentrate sometimes on some very difficult music and then the and that that's great because the other thing that brings is the opportunity to perform in some of the great London venues and with some of the most amazing musicians. So um, we perform in the Royal Albert Hall. We perform uh, our, our sort of home venue almost is with the London Philharmonic Orchestra at the Royal Festival Hall under Ed Gardner. Um, and we we are greatly privileged to be able to work alongside those, those incredible professional artists. And then the other thing I do is that I'm a very passionate and keen uh, gardener. Uh, and that that is almost I think I think that one is is almost something akin to mindfulness where you're in the moment and you're concentrating on what the garden needs and how to and how to keep it sustainable and how to make sure that, you know, we're, well, yeah, just I, I just love my garden I, and all the nature that I find in it. Chris, thank you very much today for sharing uh, your knowledge and expertise and uh, your various uh, appointments throughout your history. It's been really illuminating for me to hear your story. Thank you. UKSG exists to connect the sector and encourage the exchange of ideas. It brings together the information community of librarians, publishers, intermediaries and technology vendors. If you know someone whose career journey would make for an interesting episode, please get in touch with UKSG via Twitter. Please like and share our podcast to help us support those in our community who are just starting their journey. And subscribe to the channel to keep up with future episodes.